0: morning with our sermon series, as you heard, called uh, 12 Men Who Changed the World, and we're looking at uh, the 12 Jesus disciples, and uh, we're learning from them, and uh, they give us such a challenge on how we should live our lives. So the word that we have in our Bibles in English, disciple, uh, the original Greek words uh, that was written translates to learner, and it means not just an intellectual learning, but learning by use. And practice, and so, in the culture of the day, the standard practice was that by the time you turned 15, you had either been chosen by a rabbi to be one of his learners, his disciples, or if no rabbi to- chose you, then you went into the family business. And it's interesting to note that every single one of those 12 of Jesus' disciples were in their family's business. So when Jesus called them, they were all at work. Uh, which meant that they didn't make the grade, that the other rabbis didn't think that they were impressive enough. So that puts you and me, or me at least, in good company. Maybe you're fancier. And uh, from 18, they could get married. From 20, they've had to pay temple tax. From 30, they were eligible by age to become a rabbi and hold positions of authority. Jesus turns that culture upside down. Instead of just inviting them into a classroom situation, he invites them into his life. And uh, the very first introduction to some of the disciples, they ask about him. And he says, well, come with me and see my life. Live with me. And uh, then the amazing thing is very quickly he gives them responsibility. He gives them responsibility. In Australia, they tell me, I'm trying to remember the deal. In Australia, there's a a three-step process to getting your driver's license. In America, you can drive at 16. And on the roads in Australia, it's a different matter entirely. You get, uh, you get what you call, uh, you, you, you pass your learner's test, and uh, then you get a probo- probationary license, and then you get a real license, and only after some more years of experience can, do you get the full license, where you can drive on the freeway, you can drive with your friends in the car, and, and so on and so on. And so there's this longer process, and maybe the Aussies know a thing or two that, that we should learn about, but... The Jesus is so different. He quickly gives these young men uh, responsibility. I'm um, just trying to find my, my years here. So of the 12 disciples, we know that James is around 30. We know that Peter is probably also 30. He's the only disciple that's married. Um, <laughs> he lives in a house with his, his wife, obviously, his brother, and his mother-in-law. All the other disciples were younger than that. And uh, Matthew, the, uh, the tax collector, was probably in his early 20s, just old enough to do the job. All the other disciples were, at best, early 20s or teens. And we know that at least two of them uh, were between the ages of 16 and 18. Now, I was chatting to some of our younger young Turks uh, here at Grace Cove the other day and saying, I remember, you know, in the olden days, I remember from the year you turned 16 at school, you started getting those letters. Some of you guys remember old South Africa, but some of you guys will remember. From the the year I turned 16, uh, I started getting letters from the government, very, very nice letters, inviting me to a party. Um, And they were called call-up papers. Some of you gents would remember the army days. So from the year you turned 16, if you stopped school, then your call-up papers Uh, automatically uh, became valid. And so if you left school from the year you turned 16, you had to go to the army. Now, what's interesting is that's the olden days. I checked today if you want to be part of the South African Defense Force, you have to be 18. All right, but you know that in the world, there are 16 countries that you can sign up for the army at the age of 16. Interesting. Now, you might think, my goodness, uh, those are very odd countries. They include Zambia. They include Norway, Singapore, and the UK. At the age of 16, I mean, my boy is 16. At the age of 16, you can go to the army, do your training, and fight for your country. Interesting how quickly Jesus gives these boys, these youngsters, uh, responsibility. They had no extraordinary skills. They were neither religious nor refined. They were ordinary people, just like you and me. Jesus knew their personalities, both strong and weak. He knew that they would disappoint him, that they would deny him, that they would desert him, and that they would even betray them. But he also knew that these very same men, once filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, would be his witnesses and would carry his gospel to the entire world. So John chapter 1, will you have a look at me, chapter, uh, verse 40, John chapter 1 verse 40. It says this, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John, speaking of John the baptizer, had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, today, you and I have the very same opportunity to begin. Uh, thanks, you can give us that next slide. To begin the lifelong journey of discipleship as we build meaningful relationships with leaders that will disciple us and who we will allow to challenge us and to stretch us towards maturity. And once again, I want to encourage you if you don't have someone like that in your life, if you haven't someone that you have given permission to speak to, Firmly to you when required, can I encourage you to find someone that you will let to do that? You know, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it tells us that uh, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him, and he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease. He sends them out to preach. The amazing thing is that the scholars tell us that this could have happened seven months after the first calling of the disciples. Imagine this, so Jesus calls these guys, within seven months, he then sends them out, two by two, he sends them out without him to go and preach, and not only to preach, but to drive out demons and to heal the sick. Now, just think about how long you've been a Christian if you're born again this morning. I'm fascinated, and I want to stir us as a church. One of the challenges that have come uh, to me, Colette's been pointing it out to me, and uh, uh, over this time is how Jesus invested his life with young guns, young guys. I wonder why. Is it because when you get to a certain age, you become less yielding to Jesus? I wonder. And so Jesus has these youngsters, some as young as 16. He spends about seven months with them and already sends them out. How's that for a training course? How's that? <laughs> yeah? Just think it through. Just think it through. You know, the teacher's training college, you used to study a year, and then you used to go and do practicals uh, at school, Lindsay? Yes, from the first year. From the first year. So one year of study, and then you had to go and do a couple of weeks, whatever. Every year. I just... Every year. There we go. Hey? So, I mean, imagine letting, how old were you when you, when your first year? How old were you, if I can ask? Sorry, it's rude to ask a lady her age. But then, we won't do the maths. From 19. Imagine a 19-year-old, uh, if you finished school at 17, you could have been maybe 18, uh, probably when you went to, to be an assistant teacher or do your prac teaching. Imagine being let loose on some person's children at that age. <laughs> yeah. You know, here at Grace Cup, we've got teenagers that help assist in the All-Stars uh, ministry. My point is this, that we should be opening our hearts to letting younger guys minister. Now we're not writing off the older guys. You know everyone over 30 apparently according to the disciples. But what I'm saying guys. I'm asking us to open our hearts. To allow younger, younger guys to minister to us. Older guys go for it. Yes. Remember Jesus was 30. When he started preaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were talking uh, yesterday. Timo. We were talking about uh, car insurance. And uh, I was saying, you know, I started leading a church, I don't know how your car insurance works, but uh, on some of the policies, if you're below a certain age, then they add like five grand to the excess, because they're assuming that you're going to be a a risk to, you know, to their finances. And uh, so I started leading a church, I was the, 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 the director and one of the signatories and all of that, I was the guy that was able to make the payments and all of that, and yet if I Crashed the church vehicle, then I was not old enough to avoid paying extra, um, extra, extra what do you call that thing? Excess because apparently I wasn't trustworthy enough to drive a car. My point is this let's open our hearts to all ages, but I love how Jesus targets young guys. Let's hear it for the young guys. So he takes them from being learners to being messengers, from being followers. To ambassadors. So, we've spoken about some of these disciples so far, and uh, we've asked ourselves what these disciples teach us. And we've said that James teaches us about selfless service. He teaches us that when we see Jesus, the revelation of Jesus changes our lives. And he teaches us of total surrender. He was an ambitious man who ends up surrendered to whatever God wanted for him. We looked at John the disciple that Jesus loved. And he teaches us about intimacy with Jesus. He teaches us about longevity in our call, serving Jesus in the long haul and uh, knowing that Jesus is with us in every season of life. And he teaches us to respond to Jesus with successive yeses. We don't just say yes to Jesus once, but we continue to say yes to Jesus And we looked at Peter, Peter, that disciple. You may remember him, one of the well-known disciples. And we asked ourselves, what does Peter teach us? And he teaches us that each one says to Peter, who do they say you are? And the, the disciples say, oh, people are all saying a bunch of stuff. And then Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? Peter teaches us that we need a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. doesn't count what our nearest and dearest say. What do we say about who Jesus is? Then he teaches us about restoration. Peter's the comeback kid. He makes some mistakes, but he also makes some great responses as well. And though he falls, he gets back up again, again and again. And uh, he teaches us about responding well to a rebuke. And he allows Jesus to speak firmly to him. And yet he doesn't let it get into his heart. He doesn't take offense, but he responds well to Jesus. And so this morning we're going to have a look at uh, Andrew, the disciple Andrew. And uh, so that means we've, we've, we've looked at two sets of brothers. And so Andrew, uh, you can give us that next slide. Andrew, the interesting thing, and it'll make sense in a moment. You know, Andrew is a Greek name. And the interesting thing is that Andrew means manly or courageous. So Jen's how about that for a name? You know, ha- Hello, my name's Manly. Be a great way to introduce yourself, you know, one of those networking events, you know, you, when you get those things that you've got to stick on your shirt, you know, you just write manly and see how, and it's important because this guy was a fisherman, he was Peter's brother, he was the younger brother, I'm a younger brother, trust me, um, uh, they're wonderful, and uh, he was the younger brother, he was in his teens or in his early 20s, he was also the first disciple that Jesus calls. This is important. We read it there in, in John chapter 1, verse 40. It was he, Andrew was the very first disciple that Jesus called. The very first. And it's cool to hear that he rushes off to find his brother Peter. So he's the first disciple uh, of Jesus. And this choice that Jesus made, you know, your first choice is always the important one, right? Because that's the guy that sets the trend for the next one. Who's seen the Princess Bride? Okay, next Sunday, we're going to cancel the preach, and we're just going to watch movies, okay? All right? So in the Princess Bride, there's this story about a pirate who who, who just has never died. And uh, I'll give this story spoiler alert. How it works is that he always wears a mask. And when he gets tired of being a pirate, he, he fires the crew, and he keeps one, the first mate. And he gets a whole new crew and the first mate. Calls the new guy by the same name, and then the crew just assumes that it's the same guy. And so, generation after generation, there's this legend that the Dread Pirate Roberts just continues. It's so important who your first follower is, because if the the first follower sets the trend, the culture, the tone for all the other disciples. So, Andrew would have been a very strategic choice that Jesus made. Uh, he was first a disciple of John the Baptist, so he had a heart. To seek after the Lord. And when, as we read, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Son of God, he leaves John and he follows Jesus because he has a revelation of who Jesus was. Now, we all know who Peter was. We've spoken about him, but we all, most of us know, Peter was this brash, loud, kind of uh, the shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy. Uh, Andrew, the younger brother, was entirely different. He was quiet, he was thoughtful. He was persistent and he was unassuming. Now, I'm pretty sure that as we look at these disciples, you'll find someone just like you. It's interesting that uh, history tells us that he was crucified on an X shaped cross. And you know, after Acts chapter 1, verse 13, where they choose the disciple to replace Judas Iscariot, Andrew is not mentioned again in the Bible. So he's the first disciple, but after Acts chapter 1, he's never mentioned. We were together when they chose. Uh, Matthias to replace um, Judas Iscariot. And so Andrew's great uh, characteristic was he realized that his mission was to point people to Jesus. So here you have this manly guy. My name is manly. You can call me sir. And yet he was a very quiet, sensitive guy. When he received the joy of Jesus calling him to follow, uh, to follow him, the first thing he thought of was, who else can I bring with me? And he thinks of his brother Peter, and he brings Peter. And We all know Peter's this great uh, um, standout disciple. And so what does Andrew teach us? What does Andrew teach us? So like many of us, if you're, a, if you're not the oldest in your family, Andrew lived in the shadow of his more famous sibling. So while he was the first disciple to be chosen, very soon afterwards, Peter, the guy he introduces to Jesus, his very own brother, begins to become more prominent. He's the loud one, like I told you uh, last Sunday if you were there. Um, he was those loud mothers on the side of the, of the, the, the sports field cheering for their, their children. And so although he introduces Peter to Jesus, his role takes a back seat. And so Andrew leads Peter to Jesus and then steps into the background as his boisterous brother becomes a leader among the apostles. It's amazing. We said that he was a disciple of John the Baptist and he seems to have learned from John the Baptist that the most important task in life is not to make a name for oneself, but to bring people to Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us of any impressive exploits, no crowds following Andrew, no miracles are recorded of him. Uh, and no great preaching but through Peter thousands have heard of of Christ and millions have read his letter and so we're going to look at what uh, Andrew teaches us about uh, Jesus what we can learn from Andrew and so first of all we learn from Andrew that our our, our highest goal can be to point Jesus uh, appoint people to Jesus John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, uh, Brendan was talking about our role as disciples. The question that we ask ourselves, does what we say point people to Jesus? If I have a conversation with you, when I finish the conversation, who do I go away thinking about? I have a friend who has said publicly how he has determined that every conversation he has, he will mention Jesus in that conversation. Now, that's quite a tall order, right? Think about it. At the tall? <laughs> Budget or straight? Uh, straight, please, and hallelujah, Jesus wants to tell you something, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> when you're taking out the, uh, the rubbish in my suburb on a Monday morning and you see your neighbor in his pantofles doing the same thing, you say, good morning, neighbor, and by the way, Jesus loves you. Remember, this guy, it's important his name was manly, because if you start talking to people like that, they might not think you're very manly. So Andrew was still courageous, and yet he, was, uh, he, he loved to point people to Jesus. The question is, does our testimony, what we say, as a point people to Jesus. Uh, many people say lifestyle evangelism, I'll just live a good life. You heard uh, Colin talking about his bicycle shop. You heard Tina saying that if you ask God, he will give you opportunities where you can tell people your story. It works for very much, doesn't it? In just three minutes. You to say it's not because it's their personal testimony. Now, sometimes I wonder if it is their personal testimony or it's just an actor that they gave some lines to say, you know, Uh, especially when they show you the after pictures, not the before pictures. But um, the point is that uh, sometimes we've just got to tell people our own story. Lifestyle evangelism is great. It sets a platform. But somewhere along the line, we've actually got to talk about Jesus. Andrew leads Peter to Christ. And then he steps into the background and he lets his brother run. You see, first of all, the first person that we see Andrew leading to Jesus is his brother. It's someone he knows, someone he loves, someone that he's personally concerned for. You know, many of us, we, we come to Jesus and we love him, we enjoy him. He does miracles in our lives and we, we're so grateful. The question that, that Andrew raises is, in our gratefulness, are we saying, hey, but what about my friend across the road. What about that schoolmate? What about my boss? What about the people I know? Can they have the same privilege? He, say, he shares his excitement with his brother. So the first person that, that, that Andrew points to Jesus is his brother, one of his family members. Now, you might say that family is more difficult when you've had a change in your life, more difficult to speak to. But the point here is Andrew and Peter loved each other, and he was concerned for his brother. Uh, if you turn with me in John chapter 6, please, it's uh, part of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, John chapter 6, and the story is Jesus is teaching and preaching, the crowds follow Jesus to listen to him, and at the end of the day, one of the disciples gets a bit nervous and saying, says, well, you better send them home because otherwise we're going to have to feed them and it's going to cost all this money, excuse me, if we are going to be responsible for the catering. And John chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? One of the other gospels tells us Jesus says to the disciples, You give them something to eat. And I love this. Um, uh, Let's see if I. uh, In the preceding verse, and I think it's verse 6, Philip says, Man, this is going to cost so much money. He's worried about the money. But Andrew says this. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says, Where shall we buy bread for these? Uh, sorry, uh, where shall we buy people bread for these people to eat? Verse 8 says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how will this go? How far will this go among so many? So think about it. The, the, the recording tells us, the Bible tells us, there's 5,000 men. Plus, women and children. So, there's a lot of people, right? Can you, mean, can you imagine being in that crowd? I remember at the World Cup, I was fortunate, a friend uh, 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 took my boy and I to watch the Hand of God game. Do you remember that game at Soccer City? And uh, there we were, 80, 84,000 and changed people. And I remember queuing, trying to go through the turnstile, walking into the, into the stadium, and then on the, at the end of the night trying to get out. Now, imagine in the crush, they suddenly realized, man, We haven't got any food. But Andrew is a little different. He says, hold on, hold on. You know, I was talking to this little boy along the way. He's got his lunchbox with him. His mom sent him with food because she knew he'd get hungry. Here's my point. When Andrew meets Jesus, he instantly thinks of his brother. While Andrew is ministering with Jesus, going to hear Jesus preach, somewhere along the line, he's the only disciple that made a friend of this little boy. It's amazing. Philip's thinking about, yo, what's this going to cost? All the other disciples are thinking, yeah, how do we get out of this? He had an interest in the individual. He had spotted the boy, and he must have engaged him in conversation. He must have started building a little relationship with this guy so that, I mean, imagine if you're a a young boy, you're probably hungry. And, you know, when when some other guy calls you forward and says, can I have your lunch? Uh, There must have been some kind of relationship that had been struck up in the process. I love the, 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 the image of Jesus at the well near Samaria. Remember that lady comes to, the, comes to the well, and Jesus says to her, now we know later that she's got a bad reputation, and so Jesus honors her by saying, could you do something for me? She says to her, could you give me something to drink? And uh, then he begins to talk to her and he says, man, I know that you actually have had all these husbands and the guy that you're living with at the moment isn't your husband. I realized you're not in a good place, is the subtext. She might have replied, in today's language, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> and he speaks deep into her heart. And then she leaves. I still can't remember if he actually got the drink of water. But then she leaves and she goes into the town. And she says, come and see this guy. You see, she picks up something of, of Andrew's uh, skill. Come and see this guy. He's told me everything about my life. Now, here's my point. How did that conversation start? Jesus said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't talk to ladies like that. The important thing is to note, just for propriety's sake, it was in a public space, <laughs> okay? But he doesn't look down on her. He doesn't judge her. He begins a conversation with her. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. I mean, in the culture of the day, men shouldn't even talk to ladies because ladies were of an inferior social status those days. Yeah. So by rights, he shouldn't even be talking to her even if she was a godly woman. And instead of judging her, he starts a conversation with her. Hey, you know, how about a a drink of water, please? My point is this. He doesn't walk up to her and say say to her, you know, if you don't give your life to me today, you're going to hell. He starts a conversation. And this is Andrew's skill. And he can teach us today to point people to Jesus. And my my point is, like with this little boy at the feeding of the 5,000 men, he just started a conversation one of the cool things about moving to a new city, starting a new job, meeting a new friend, is all you've got to do is start the conversation and then wait for it to turn towards Jesus. Start the conversation and wait for the opportunity to introduce Jesus. The third group of people that we see recorded that, um, uh, that Andrew points towards Jesus is, uh, are known in the Scriptures as just some Greeks. So we know his brother Peter, we know this young boy with his food, and then we've got some Greeks. And it says in John chapter, uh, John chapter 12, verse 20, it tells us, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they'd come uh, for the celebration of the Passover festival. They were proselytes, they were Greeks who were, who were serving uh, the Jewish faith. In verse 21, it says, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, I would suggest to you and I that if we open our hearts, like Tina said, to the Lord, there will be opportunities where people will come to you and I and say, excuse me, sir or ma'am, we would like to see Jesus. And that's where we go back. I hope that you and I are leading a life that shows Jesus. I love this next verse in verse 22. It tells us that, so they come to Philip. So just picture the, the scenario. They come to Philip. Jesus, Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, and in turn, tell Jesus. You see, Andrew's the guy that his instinct, his first uh, knee-jerk reaction is, great, let's go show them to Jesus. Philip says, well, I'm not too sure what we should do. Let me ask Andrew. Andrew takes him towards Jesus. And uh, so we see in Andrew this ability to point all kinds of people, his family, a strange young boy, uh, foreigners, teach points them towards jesus so number one he te- points them to jesus you can give us that next slide and so andrew seems to have learned from john the baptist that the most important task in life is not to make a name for ourselves but to bring people to jesus the second thing that uh, he teaches us is less is more for those of you that like decor less is more uh the amazing thing is in in uh, john chapter 15 first one let me read it to you um it says this, I have told you to remain in my love so that my joy, in you may, my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. In John chapter 3, there's this beautiful picture where uh, John the Baptist says, my cup is running over. Verse 30 says, this is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off into the sidelines. So you may remember, John the baptizer was Jesus' cousin, they started, uh, he comes to, to minister, his, his uh, call was to prepare the way for Jesus. He has a group of disciples, and when they see Jesus, they start to follow Jesus. And uh, when, they, when some of his disciples come to him and say, what's going on? Should we follow you or follow Jesus? He says this, he says, my job is to slip off into the background, and his job is to become more prominent. The uh, Living Bible says, he must become more and more important while I become less and less important there's this beautiful story of andrew he might not have been on the front page of joy magazine he might not have been known as the you know one of the youtube preachers but he had this ability to point people to jesus the third thing that we learn uh, uh, sorry give us the next slide please this is the assign moment for him to move into the centre, while I slip off into the sidelines. Thanks. The third thing that uh, Andrew teaches us is humble servants, humble service. He has this gift of introducing people to Jesus any way Jesus asks us to. In Luke chapter one verse thirty-eight, uh, God sends an angel to appear to Mary, who became Jesus' mom, and uh, the angel tells her of what's going to come. You will become pregnant, and you will bear a child, and you will. Um, call him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And Mary responds like this. if You can give us that slide. Mary says, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. See, the amazing thing is, Andrew, first disciple to be called. Andrew's great skill is to point others to Jesus, whether they become more prominent than he or not. And so we learn from Andrew, humble service. His greatest achievement that we know of is to bring others to Jesus and then watch as Jesus uses them even more than he says. I'm sure you've started something in in life. Isn't it terrible when the guy that that you introduce starts to do better than you? You know that guy that you get a job? (laughs) Then he starts outselling you. I'm sales background, I get it. You know, that guy that, that, that you felt sorry for, They're really kind of hard times, and, and you helped them kind of connect and get their lives sorted out. Next thing, they're driving a fancier car than you are. They're going on fancier holidays than you are. You kind of go, hey, well, excuse me, this isn't fair. that You, you got me to thank for that. Yeah? How about in church? How about in church? That guy that you bring to church, then all of a sudden it's like, man, you know, God's all over that guy, and you wonder, but what about me? Hello? yeah you know what's interesting um colette and i led a church uh the first church we led we were pretty young when we when you came to lead it you know who struggled most with us being announced to take over the leadership of the church wasn't the old people it wasn't the business guys it was our peers i remember a friend of mine i shared a house with him he said to me hey uh, he, he, he had to repent and apologize later. He said to me, I thought if you could do it, why not me? Now, can you imagine when you've opened the door for someone and then they step forward further than you? This is Andrew's story. And Andrew's great success is not how much airplay he gets. It's not many, how many Facebook friends he's got. It's not how many downloads of his sermons happen. His great success is that he learned humble service. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm ready to serve. If you want me to serve by talking, you want me to serve by being in the background. If you want me to serve by being famous or not, I'm the Lord's servant. I serve at his pleasure. I'll do whatever he says. You know, in the parable of the talents, the Bible tells us the story where uh, a master leaves his three servants, one with five amounts of money, one with two, and one with one. It says the first two guys take the money and they employ it. They, they're faithful with it and they make a profit. The one that gets one amount of money puts it in a hole in the ground because he's scared. When the guy comes back, he says, here's the money back as you gave me. You know, the guy that had won was in trouble. Not because he'd given the money back, but because he hadn't been faithful with what he'd been given. You see... Um, Let me find my my place. It's not how many talents we've been given, but it's about the faithful employment of what I have been given. So my question to you this morning is, are you and I pointing people to Jesus? If people only had what we say and how we live to go by, Would they see Jesus? Are we happy to start with a major role, even if we end up playing a minor role, as long as it's Jesus' plan? We're happy for people to go beyond us. Are we pointing people to Jesus? The second question that I want to ask this morning is, do you know Jesus? Have you been pointed to Jesus? I want to say to you this morning that there is a great opportunity for you to meet with Jesus this morning for the first time. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chooses Andrew as our first disciple, the first of the twelve. And the key thing, remember he sets the tone for all the others. The key thing that this guy has to show is his role is to point people to Jesus. Surely we can learn from that. I wonder if you'd stand with me as we close. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for these wonderful examples uh, of these young men that served you. And Jesus, this morning, I want to take a moment. I'm not going to ask you to do anything out of the ordinary, but I'm going to just take a pause and allow you to meet Jesus for the first time. You might be far from the Lord as you've walked into this building this morning. Don't know how you got here. Maybe a friend or you just turned up on your own. can't be by coincidence, right? This morning, if you would say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm sorry for living my life the way I did. Today, I want to become your follower, your disciple, your child. If you pray those that prayer, the Bible tells us that Jesus will open his arms. He'll receive you. He'll forgive you for your sins and make you his child. For those of us that know Jesus, that have walked with him, this morning I wonder if you and I would just respond like Andrew did. Maybe this morning you want to say, Jesus, count me in. Whether it's someone close to me, like a brother, family member. Whether it's someone I meet in the course of the day, like that little boy. Or even if it's foreigners to me, just some people that I happen to bump into. Help me, Lord, to point well to Jesus. the cool thing is we don't have to have it all together we simply have to hold on to Jesus and give others around us great courage Jesus I thank you this morning that you call each one of us the twelve that we're speaking about are such a good example they were just ordinary people they were overlooked by others and yet you saw something to love in them Jesus, I thank you that you love us this morning and that you call us to you. And Lord, as we go, I pray that you'd help us to be an Andrew wherever we go. Point people towards Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.